What's up, haters? We are in the taint between Christmas and New Year's. Um, I wanted to make... I'm, I'm a big resolutions guy. I wanted to make some political resolutions for 2018 or a political manifesto. Um, I think I've... In the last two episodes, I got some pushback from different listeners, both about the fake news Hillsdale thing and the CDC forbidden words thing. Um, and I think there's a framework in which I'm thinking about things that I've failed to communicate clearly, and I'm going to try to explain it and then talk about the political conclusions it leads me to. So basically, I think you have to look at the 2016 election as elite failure and institutional failure. Like, Donald Trump did not win because of a genius strategy or because of, uh, you know, his his election can't be viewed as like an earthquake or a virtuosic political performance. It worked because of the weakness of everybody else. And I'm not trying to deprive him of certain insights into the American character and the nature of the political process, but I do think it's not that Trump had the competence to overwhelm institutions. It's that institutions had already failed. So I think, you know, sometimes when I'm criticizing the media or criticizing Democrats, people have a reaction of like, look, some of these criticisms are true, but we have a much bigger problem, which is this incompetent presidency and the president is further mining, further undermining already weak institutions. And so we need to build those institutions up and take the institution side against the attacks of the president. And I think the reason that's a mistake is I, I feel that that's the dynamic that got us here. I mean, I feel that the institutions failed in a political sense. Americans have no faith in them. And that creates the situation in which Trump can win. And unless we repair that trust, you know, he can win again, even if his favorables are so low. I mean, I have some friends who track the unfavorables. And I think, you know, Trump's low number is far less important than tracking what do Americans think of Congress? What do Americans think of the media? What do Americans think of experts? Because if those numbers remain as low or lower than Trump, which they are, uh, he will win again, I think. Um, because he is the everything else option. He is the sick of this shit option. And so I don't think the way to defeat him um, is to convince everyone how bad or dangerous he is. I think the way to defeat him is to repair trust between the voter and other things. And I don't even know if some of these things are salvageable. I mean, you know, in the future, I don't know if CNN and the New York Times can survive as the sort of like, you know, news of record for historians and stuff. I don't know um, if the political parties can survive. But I do know that either these institutions we have will repair their relationship with Americans or, uh, or something new will have to come in to take their place. And people aren't happy with Trump as the something new, but they also had had enough of the old paradigm. And I think this is part of the insight that I missed while I was so actively supporting Hillary and trying to raise money for her and stuff is that, you know, 
I think one of the reasons people voted for Barack Obama is that they misinterpreted his soaring rhetoric as a rejection of sort of like the neoliberal and foreign policy order. And again, putting putting my personal opinions aside, I think when the banks got bailed out and when Libya got invaded, or not invaded, there was an intervention, I shouldn't use that word, um, I agreed with both those decisions, actually, but I think there was a reaction in the public that was like, okay, we thought this guy was kind of unique, but there's more wars we don't understand, there's more corporate welfare, we're still doing poorly. And so even Barack Obama, who I think many or perhaps even most Americans viewed as a person with integrity, couldn't upset this uh, elite consensus, and they thought the elite consensus was failing them. And we can look at each institution and sort of why, you know, why people don't trust them. But let's take some big points, because it's been, it's been going on for a while. You know what the media, the media was an accomplice to the Iraq war. It failed to see the financial crisis coming. It got some election calls wrong. And then there's like a million other tiny cuts. Those are the big ones. You know, Congress hasn't really been able to do things for two and a half presidencies. Even when they do, people end up sort of confused or uh, like not knowing how to interpret legislative achievements. You know, like the ACA is what passes for a grand legislative achievement and people don't. It's not well understood. People who are in the popular parts of it, say the Medicare and Medicaid expansion, they may not know that that's ACA. Other parts of it that are less popular, people are frustrated with. Um, And, you know, I think one of the problems I have, because I'm sort of like an establishment defender a lot of the times, is that I have this view of history and the world where I say, okay, our legislature is bad and full of assholes, but relatively to human history and the rest of the world, it's pretty good. And our media sucks and everything's biased and blah, blah, blah. Um, But relative to history and the rest of the world, it's pretty good. But I think part of what's happening is the internet and the way we consume information now allows people to peek behind the curtain in a way they couldn't before. So, you know, in the past, if we had bank bailouts, maybe we wouldn't know the names of all the Wall Street people that contributed to both, you know, Barack Obama and Mitt Romney, and then maybe had friendships with Hillary Clinton. But now we do. Um, And when a news story comes out, you know, it'll be endlessly picked apart, its sources evaluated. So we have better, we have better tools with which to judge exactly how much our institutions are taking advantage of us. And I think that's one of the tools people are using to become sort of frustrated. Um, And I just want to read as sort of like, you know, I think I gave some media examples. We all know politics sucks. But just talking about, like, expertise in general, like why people don't believe things. um, I wanted to look at these two Paul Krugman quotes that I think are really interesting. And, like, he's not my favorite guy, but I think these are really interesting quotes. So in 2016... Paul Krugman wrote, It's also true that much of the elite defense of globalism is basically dishonest. False claims of inevitability, scare tactics that protectionism causes depressions, vastly exaggerated claims for the benefits of trade liberalization and the cost of protection, hand-waving away the large distributional effect 
that our standard models actually predict. The elite case for ever freer trade is largely a scam, which voters probably sense even if they don't know exactly what form it's taking. And I think when he's talking about redistributive effects, what he means is a lot of globalization, especially moving labor overseas, is taking money out of working class Americans' pockets and putting it two places. One, putting it in the hands of workers in other countries. Uh, but the biggest thing is moving it to rich people who own companies who may have U.S. citizenship but probably have citizenship elsewhere. And you've probably even heard people, and I've made this argument before, well, if one you know, American loses a $40,000 wage but, you know, 10 Chinese people get a $5,000 wage, isn't that a net good for the world? And it may be, but American politicians' jobs are not to come up with policies that are a net good for the world or for the global elite. So a lot of times this argument that sort of like the overall economy of the world becomes more robust, uh, the freer trade is, may be true in some technical sense, but it totally leaves out uh, what are known threats to the American worker. And another issue where this happened was immigration. And I'll take another Paul Krugman quote. And this is uh, from 2006. Paul Krugman wrote, Immigration reduces the wages of domestic workers who compete with immigrants. The fiscal burden of low-wage immigrants is also pretty clear. We'll need to reduce the inflow of low-skill immigrants. That's Paul Krugman in 2006. Um... And, you know, uh, these are drums I haven't heard him bang on a lot. But so these are two issues where I think the sort of like neoliberal democratic or centrist establishment was saying immigration isn't a problem and free trade helps everybody. Now we have, you know, you can find other quotes by people like this of sort of admitting, well, this might actually hurt American workers, but that's okay for X, Y, Z reason. You know, we want to be a multicultural society or... We want to grow the world economy. Um, but I can understand people reacting poorly to that. And when you have someone like Paul Krugman sort of admitting that the discourse on both free trade and immigration are fudged, I think you can understand how you get to people who say, well, I don't know what the climate change consensus means because I have Rachel Maddow on TV telling me, you know, Every economist agrees immigration is no threat, but that's not what I see in my life. So I think there's just this, uh, there was this deal that both Democrats and Republicans tried to make that said, let us run the world, we're going to grow economies and conduct wars, but you'll be okay, and like part of our neoliberal project will make everyone richer, so you'll get something on the back end. And I think people are just saying enough. And again, you can't view Trump's election as an earthquake. I think, you know, I consider myself sort of, I don't work for the government, but I'm certainly uh, government adjacent and maybe therefore part of the establishment. It's like, I think if you're a member of the establishment or you're a mainstream Democrat or Republican, some person who doesn't understand the appeal of Trump, you have to understand that like, this is how I view it, right? Like the American voter broke up with us. And Trump is the new guy they're dating. And what we've been doing during the primary and this period now is saying, baby, 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 I know I did X, I know I did Y, I know I did Z, but this guy, this is the guy you're dating? And I think the part that we don't see or that we don't understand is that 
you know, maybe our our ex with their friends is saying, yeah, I know this new guy isn't that great, but the truth is I just don't want to go back to my old my old squeeze because that was bad. So I'm not going to tell them uh, that I know I can't be with this new guy. The point is, like, I'm out looking for something because the old order, the old arrangement uh, really took advantage of me. And so in that framework... I think we really need to view our goal. If our goal is defeating Trump, then our strategy needs to be how do we make ourselves more attractive to the American voter, our ex. And, you know, people who want to win back an ex, they don't talk shit about the new fling. They go to the gym. They improve themselves. They improve their own life so that when they cross cross paths again, the person will be impressed. And that's what I don't see happening and what I'm frustrated by. I mean, if you take the media as an example, the dynamic that allowed Trump to win, I think, in part, was uninterrupted free coverage of his campaign because it was sort of a, a circus, and then clear bias against him, which I think is very understandable. Like, I understand why the media felt Trump was dangerous. But Again, I think you have to look at it in the framework of politically, the American media was failing to uh, earn and keep the trust of the American people before Trump ever showed up. So then when you get this sort of weird candidate who's covered wall to wall, but the the tenor of the coverage is sort of like hysterical, you don't want to do this, and the bias is so clear, that helps him. And I think even now, most of this helps him. Like the CDC story and the hand-wringing, I mean, I think a lot of people probably saw that story and thought, all these administrations are liars who tell their fucking agencies what to say, and like, I'm not, I'm not interested in this. And then seeing, you know, the old, the old favorites get up in arms, like, this is new, this is terrible, you can't have an anti-science administration, you can't forbid words. I'm assuming a big percentage of people shrug, and I understand why. And I, I don't mean that it's it's an okay behavior or that outline, you know, particularly forbidding those concepts won't have real costs in terms of the work the CDC has done. But the point is, we can't view this like it's just an argument over whether those words can be used that we're trying to have in public. That's not the fight that's happening. Trump provokes us the media, the establishment, regular Democrats and Republicans, to scorn him in the same way we've been doing since he was in the Republican primary. And he baits us into looking a certain way and having a certain perspective. And I do think it helps him. And again, I'm concerned that we are spending way too much time uh, trying to make him look bad and not trying to Uh, convince Americans that we are um, something that has value to them. And I think the press thinks the exact wrong thing on this. They think we're going to be so much, you know, so much more recommitted. Uh, We're going to be so hardcore. We're going to hold this administration to account. And I think most people see that as a weird standard. Like I've heard several journalists say, oh, we really need to be at our best under Trump, which reveals sort of like a hidden truth, I think, which is that under Obama, a lot of journalists felt like, I'll cover this, but we basically trust these guys. So, like, whatever. 
Um, we don't need to be super vigilant. And frankly, I want a press that's totally vigilant with everybody. And I think we know that's not what we have. Um, and people smell that and they think it stinks. So I think we need to be really careful about these dynamics. And I would say that the most aggressive rejection of reforming ourselves to be more attractive to the American people is impeachment. Because impeachment says, this is an earthquake, this is an act of God, and if we can just find a way to reverse it, we'll be fine again. But we won't, because as long as Americans don't believe in the narrative that this, like, neoliberal chart, you know, path we've charted is good for them, and they don't believe that, and that's all we're doing, then we're in trouble. Um... And so I don't think impeachment would solve anything because I think our system overall would remain incredibly vulnerable to Trumpian figures or its equivalent on the left, um, which I don't think is Bernie, by the way. It would have to be something more uh, extreme. But I, I just mean we need to solve the problem of having a lack of institutional faith where someone like Trump can win. And that problem is not solved uh, by impeaching him. Um, and it's a cop-out. And I think the Democrats as well show very little signs that they've learned their lesson. I mean, Pelosi still has a job. Schumer still has a job. I think the type of corporate candidates they're considering, I mean, you know, some of these people just want to run, so you can't stop them. But Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, even uh, Gillibrand, I don't think these people can... Uh, credibly separate themselves from the uh, elite political and, you know, media class that American people have rejected. So I could even see those people winning because Americans might be convinced, oh, Trump is so dangerous, let's just get one of these typical politicians in. But then there'd be four years where people were very disappointed and nothing they wanted happened. And then we'd be back to, uh, I think, a Trumpian figure four years after that. So you know, one thing I'm going to try to do, based on this conclusion of mine, uh, is that we, you know, I'll try to spend less time talking about Trump, and I'll also try to spend slightly less time talking about media stories and Democrats that I don't like. And I think one thing I'll try to focus on is um, people that I think are doing things right. Um, you know, whether it's media outlets that I think are sort of really holding themselves to a high standard in terms of how they're reporting things or Democrat candidates or independents or Republicans who are, uh, like, really doing the things I think they should be doing to make themselves separated from the sort of soiled uh, political establishment and trying to, you know, make a direct connection with the voter. I'll try to talk about more positive examples. And I do think that, you know, I'm sure some people listening will think that this is like a joke and that you know, this person is totally part of, like, the Wall Street Democrat thing. But I do think the one person in the field that I think has done some work so that she could have some credibility on the issues that I think voters care about is Elizabeth Warren. Um, and I hope we could get somebody who's even sort of more credible to working people than her, but who is not Bernie, um, but maybe that'll be the choice at the end of the day. I mean, I might have to make some sacrifices to achieve the sort of things I'm, I'm talking about or thinking about, but I do think she is uniquely positioned 
uh, and could gain back some trust. But she'd have a heavy hill to climb because I think the immediate thing she'd have to do to keep that trust is to fight her own party about the influence of money uh, within the party and also having sort of like really ambitious infrastructure or social welfare plans that sort of like the people that donate might not like. So I, I think like she's so connected to a to the party as, you know, as a broad institution, she might fight to uh, pass policies that, you know, further legitimated her, uh, like, cred as someone who fights for the little guy or whatever. But who knows? Remains to be seen. But, you know, I'm open to other people emerging, and I hope people do, because I don't think she's an ideal choice. I just think she's the best we have right now. But again, I really do like this metaphor where like, I think we should feel like we got dumped. And it's fine to point out what worries you about the new uh, paramour, but much more you need to make yourself an attractive partner. Um, and I think these, these sort of uh, perfunctory fights uh, and highlighting certain things the White House does or Trump does I don't see a lot of value in them, and I'm worried that they might actually have a negative impact because, you know, we aren't... It, this is the crucial thing. We aren't trusted uh, when we write things, when we argue about things. Like, I realize now, if I can just compare this to Syria, like, you know, I guess I knew this while it was happening, but it's like, with a lot of Americans, you start a conversation with them where you're like, do you know what's happening in regime prisons? And they might say to you, no, I don't know what's happening in regime prisons, but I'll tell you what I do know. A bunch of people like you, young, hotshot lobbyists who are getting paid, told us we needed to go to Iraq, to Afghanistan, and then Libya. And all I know is that those things were expensive and people died and fucked up sketchy shit happened. And now we're saying enough. And like, you know, I felt very depressed that I could not communicate to people what I felt was unique about Syria and why I felt the United States was sort of the only country positioned to do the right thing. But at the same time, I can't fault people for those conclusions. I just can't, uh, given, you know, how many people died in Iraq, both American and Iraqi, and the fact that we're still in Afghanistan in a pretty big way. And, you know, there's weird shit happening in Yemen that I don't think anyone should feel good about. So, I kind of got to, at some point, you know, if you assume that the average American can't read in depth on all these issues, they just have to look at things that are happening and sort of draw a conclusion. The fact that they think that everyone's lying to them and is full of shit is a very reasonable conclusion. And I think it's that conclusion that we have to have in our minds when we try them, you know, try to draw them back to a political party or trusting a given media source, um... And yeah, so I'm going to, again, I probably will still get mad about things I see that I think are fucking this up, but I also will try to highlight uh, more examples of people who I think are, are doing good and who are making some progress uh, winning back trust.